I guess I feel, I feel nervous about trying to really rep, like really represent the guts of the ideas, but I, I probably won't quite get there. Maybe that's kind of the pleasure and the pain of our job, <laughs> you know? I, I guess what I what I feel like I butt up against as a maybe I'm, you know I'm jumping a gun here, but is is that you know there's an inherent desire in the most of the work of artists like our like us to not necessarily name every practice skill method you know strategy whatever you would call them in an academic sense as they're coming out and that something about the naming of those things can dull their ability to be really transcendent and really successful as they're kind of rolling out of us and there's a sort of a resistance i think to like to to text for a lot of movement and somatic artists and I find it quite difficult to write, but I, but interestingly, like, and people would describe me in this way and in, in that I can be very articulate when I'm talking to people, like I can really get, kind of get into the meat of an idea and I love it. And it's exciting. And particularly there's exchange there, like you're giving energy to me and I'm giving energy to you. And, and, and we can kind of like not quite settle on a definition. We can sort of talk around something, but there's something about the act of writing and saying it's this or locking ideas down or it being quite solo that isn't a really great bedfellow for dance movement and kind of those more ephemeral practices in general. So it is kind of, so I think like talking is actually potentially as text based as writing in the, in the potential outcome but is it better fit for us? So it's like, it's interesting that you discuss this idea that it opens practice by talking. Yeah. I aim for a mode that is generative. Mm. And I think it can be hard to be generative when you're trying to be definitive. Yeah, it sort of has to arrive at something. I mean, maybe there's ways to leave that more open. I mean, maybe that's also, I'm not a... I'm not a writer. I mean, I like the idea of practicing writing, but um, maybe that's something in the the evolution of writing that can come out, like, you know, actual writers and playwrights really starting to try and undo those kind of tropes of of the idea of exactly what you're saying. Like, there, there needs to be a full stop or there needs to be a single idea that we expound or... Yeah. I don't know. In any case, I mean, I agree with you entirely. I think the talking ideas for me is way more kind of generative than the the writing ideas. Talking through practice. There's a lot of um, writing about like thinking through practice, but I think that even the act of talking is different to thinking. So, th- and and I think you know, dancers in general. Well, my interest in the idea of the of co-presence as a material, you know, this idea that there's a very big difference for us. There's a different feeling. There's a different mode. Like when you're rehearsing a piece of work, because we do that in a way. You know, visual art doesn't rehearse performance. It writes it and then does it. But dance checks it and tests it. It puts it in, it tests it before it shows it. But um, yeah. But uh, when you rehearse a piece of dance, it doesn't feel the same as to when you perform a piece of dance. And it's not just, I don't think that's just about the location. Like, I think that's about the activation that other bodies observing, you know, create a different energy even within us, even though it's the same material, it's potentially even in the same space. It's just the space has been activated by other people. But yeah, I'm writing a little bit about 
about exactly that, about trying to value the presence and the body of the observer as much as the performer, as a, a kind of a leveling of um, hierarchy, but also as a as a measure of energy and space and time is this is the multiple bodies within a piece of work even if it's a solo performance i sort of like the idea of but there so there's some hierarchy that i think is useful in that uh giving giving time and giving attention is also an instantiation of hierarchy and that is useful so that um, what has been more deeply considered can be given the space so that it may become. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in a way you're also talking about like ways in which we might direct or like choreograph situations so that different visions or experiences are highlighted within within any setup, within an encounter, mm. which is which is fair and interesting. I mean, I think that comes back to the idea of the dancer as the crafter, you know, because um, even when we set up aleatoric forms, when we're doing things by chance or by improvisation, there's an element to which I think there's always an element of, of crafting. There's always an element of curation in the way that we think about the systems of the body but think more broadly like if we expand the idea of choreography beyond the idea of making dance steps which is kind of a real entry level way to consider what choreography can do then choreography is also the ordering of all sorts of systems in time and space and to cause even if it's accidental but to cause situations to occur between those bodies but I don't know if I do. You describe that as in a hierarchy in a kind of like a Zizek way. Like if you say anything's good, then everything's bad. So everything has to be level. That kind of like, like almost atomic kind of settling. Of I guess, no, I'm thinking of it much less advanced than that. I'm thinking I've invited you to my house for dinner. Yeah. There is a hierarchy of responsibilities. There are roles and I have, I am hosting you. And so, first of all, I'm going to make sure that I'm there when I've invited you over oh, yeah. because that's a way of showing respect to the fact that you arranged your plans and travelled and paid the parking ticket and organised a babysitter, yeah. etc. And yeah. all of that also happens for a performance. And so it's, I think it's more about who takes responsibility for what. Yeah, yeah. And the crafts, the crafts person that you were speaking about um that is a is a level of responsibility mm. i as the viewer don't take responsibility for the craft maybe i take responsibility for my own tickled throat that wants to cough and i try not to let it interrupt what you're trying to manifest in the space mm. but i am working from the premise that there's a hierarchy of responsibility for the moment mm. Yeah, I guess interesting. I haven't heard it described as a hierarchy before, but I, it, that is an interesting idea because I think that if we were trying to re- if we were tried to replace that word hierarchy with an idea of like levels or modes or a progression, maybe it wouldn't do that little knee jerk. Like the word hierarchy is can um, 
feels like a negative implication, but I, I, it's interesting you use the word host because I find the idea of, you know, hosting is not actually from if we're going to sort of apply that to a hierarchical, even class perspective, we sort of look back through history, like the housekeeper or the host of the house is usually a person that's underneath the guest. So I think maybe we're sort of, there's some interesting and maybe we're just sort of like talking language here, but I love the idea. I actually often describe myself in my performative works, like the ones that are either interactive or in a more installation or gallery space as, as occasions rather than events. Cause I feel like events are kind of like at the Rod Laver arena and, you know, have like <laughs> catering companies and stuff like events weird to me happening to me is like a period of time in a certain European sort of lineage yes. of art. And, and yeah. so there was no, not really quite word cause I didn't want to quite say performance because, you know, I sort of like to argue that everything's performing all the time and depending on how we frame it, which I think comes back to what you're describing as that sort of, hosting which is an interesting so I call my I often describe myself as the host of an occasion and I think that's so nice because the host's job is to take care of the people who are coming to experience whatever it is they're hosting yes they craft it and they make it for them and they offer them the opportunity to take part to which to whatever extent is available But I also like this idea, you know, this idea of host and occasion and invitation, they're all also very temporal. They're very um, impermanent. You know, we agree to this like mobile instant community. We agree to I'll take on this role, you'll do this. And, and we work together to kind of make that make sense between us. And then it kind of just evaporates at the end of that occasion. And, and someone else could step into that role. So I really like this idea of kind of intensely ephemeral community building that can reoccur again and again and again on all sorts of dimensions of itself. And then I think I really like this idea of um, de-hierarchizing the audience or, or getting rid of this idea that somehow the performer is rare or that art is rare. We watch it because it's something we can't do, which is something that we might apply to a system like ballet it's it's so impressive let's be quiet in the dark and pretend we're not here watching impressive people do something fancy and much as i do think you know there are beautiful giant gestures in artworks and dance works that can kind of blow us away sometimes the the simplest big gestures are the ones that i find the most kind of kind of knock me over so i think i i, I think i just like this idea that you were sort of hinting at there about hosting and ephemera and 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 this idea that that bodies are bodies and we all have a body and that there's more um crossover and things to share between a performing body and observing body if we start in the place where all of our bodies are the same material it's a very interesting i mean i feel like i've just sort of potentially not with notwithstanding the idea that there are lots of ways in which different bodies have different experiences but if we for a second stand in one place and go okay all this flesh is the same material just for a second what are the actual energetic possibilities between us that's kind of like a utopia that's and then of course like if we start to dig around politically of course there's hugely different experiences of my body as a female presenting body to someone else's body as a person of color to someone else's body as a presenting in a trans um or a, or a transformational or a non kind of um, 
non-defined space. So there are lots and lots of ways in which different bodies have different experiences in what we might call like the rational, logical world. But there are some really kind of potent moments where if we all get into a certain kind of like utopian space where our bodies are all on a level, then the potential for exchange is like magnified. It goes like times 100 exponentially because we've all agreed to do something simple, which is like stand on the same spot or something like that. I don't know if that's making a lot of sense, but sort of poking around in this idea of the potential of our bodies. I think that's maybe where I'm kind of hanging out a lot at the moment. I mean, I, without sort of trying to say it's only about the body, there's this like, this buzzing around this kind of a center piece of, I don't know if it's body, it might be movement, the the energy potential of the body, but um, yeah, I think that's maybe my, maybe choreography is really about orchestrating situations to put bodies in. Maybe that's what I'm kind of hanging out in or something. Yeah. And how do you think about the proficiency that experience gives you to make decisions whereby it can be most generative or supportive or insightful or empathetic yeah is that question kind of like where i'm sort of going we're all the same and you're sort of saying yes but you you've been spending years training and thinking about these things so (laughs) Uh, yeah, well, I'm coming back to inspiration, actually. Some shit that I see inspires me. Ah, yeah. So what, what sort of inspires me to think like that? And where do you make decisions from if you don't have... Yeah, where do you make decisions? Where do you make your choreographic decisions from? Yeah, that's, it is interesting, isn't it? Because I feel like I, I think I politically love to stand in that space. It's just like really levels us out and allows us to start again I think a lot of my I think a lot of my perhaps like um in the initial stages of trying to make a work trying to make work trying to think through anything try to make a new practice I love this idea I I feel like there are two kind of there's really only two directions for anyone making a piece of artwork like anyone who's not making a product or a business or a service like that this thing exists for the sake of its idea is either you go into the world like I see the world I see the stories I see the people in it and I will reflect immediately my responses to those things or the people who do a 180 and go I escape is the escape is the way forward need to redefine rewrite break down you know completely blow up whatever it is and build like utopia or heterotopia like multiple perfect places by kind of ignoring reality so i feel like there's this like dichotomy of either you go towards what is difficult and problematic and you turn it into an artwork or you really turn your back and you make the kind of most perfect anti-reality space that you can manage Right, and I, which is sci-fi in a way because they yeah. make the new world and then they offer up how it would function. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think there are some super interesting parallels to a certain type of like if we kind of tug at the line a little back, bit back. It's sort of at the beginning of modernism if we go back to the surrealists and 
you start even even a bit further maybe into like the romantics and you start to see this like it's kind of an idealism and it is a period of time where people were questioning the structures of class like Karl Marx was writing and all these kind of these ideas of perfection and I mean you know gone are the days when any political idea is going to save us sadly we know too much now but but (laughs) you know like it was must have been so exciting to think you've got you found the idea it's going to work you know everyone's going to be happy and take maybe that's what drives every generation is thinking that we're almost there they just have to work it out (laughs) we just have to land on the moon we just have to get maybe i think cancer is our generation's one really i don't know i feel like our generation is doesn't believe that they're saving i just i feel like we're so jaded and sarcastic (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Look, I'm just waiting for the kind of protests that are going to come out about 10G, seeing as how there's ones about 5G. 5G, I know. not so different from 4G. It is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, mm. it's hard to know. It's like, this is kind of what we get. It's hard to know what to worry about. I mean, I don't... <laughs> I've never... I just haven't really ever been able to make make sense of making a work about a small current existing thing in the world. And no, it needs to be enduring, right? Or, or yeah, or just even because none of our work really endures. So it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, for you and I, we labour and we labour and we labour, and a small amount of people will see that work in its in the way it was intended, and maybe another number will see it in a digital way or a documented way. Yeah, but my for me, the difference in labour is when I labour as a labourer. Yeah. And I'm literally moving pieces of sheet metal from one pile to another. Yeah. I'm sanding a deck or something. Uh, that is labor that is divorced from my body. And the capital asset that I'm improving upon will be left behind after me, but is towards somebody else's ownership often. Whereas the labor that is putting into, that I put into embodiment and somatic practice and mm. Empathy enhancing and my ability to uh, not only see and read the world and the cultural phenomena that I'm a part of, but also perhaps have a shot at anticipating it and navigating it and being, being fluent and literate enough so that I may form opinions from small enough building blocks that I'm... That feels like a little bit of an interesting choreographic directional idea for me in the sense that I I think I, I I think I was a little bit you know I, I sort of spent a lot of my early dance years trying to work out why my body wasn't quite right like it wasn't fitting in and there were things that weren't quite working out and I wasn't able to be in normal contexts of what I thought dance was going to do and so I think I spent a lot of time trying to understand rewrite and transform my own body and it sort of it made me think that maybe the center of my practice was the body and in some ways it is but then I think interestingly just as you're starting to talk about this idea of welding so I I talk about this idea of welding a lot now in my writing I think building new contexts to experience art bodies and the possibility of sort of politically and socially questioning their application and 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 their right to self-definition is like a very very important thing so this idea of like looking at the world or turning away from the world I feel like I did a real 180 and my 
my whole practice is really about trying to eliminate like logical and rational reality and let people kind of celebrate the potentials of their own body, including myself, like you make things for yourself without like histories and codes and hierarchies and tropes and stereotypes and just to kind of put us all on this playing field of kind of like beauty and play and fun and ridiculousness and somewhere in the middle of that is this like quite powerful but soft resistance or um, activism towards not having singular definitions of our bodies and what they can do towards having like multitude pluriverse of like bodies and how they can react and how they can change and be like liquid and not have boundaries and borders and have these kind of gaps and leaky things that happen that kind of give rise to, yeah, what I would say is like heterotopia, like multiple perfect brilliant worlds that make us all feel really good and make sense of things. You know, in a soft way. Mm. Yeah, and the favorite, my favorite way of um, involving the people that you've invited that you're hosting through this experience is asking them to do some of the work of bringing it into existence. Yes, through through their commitment. Yeah, to the to the world. Yeah, yeah, um, handing them a little um, wand. Yeah, and being like, yeah, <laughs> have a crack. When, when you're in the, I don't know, the workshopping space where you're actually making decisions, mm. what, how do you go from your thoughts in words, how do you go either into mm, feelings and movements in body or uh, aesthetics and colours and shapes yeah. and objects? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. There's, uh, I am more now than I think I used to be informed by reading you know, I read a lot of ideas and I try and um, think really broadly about that community of people that I think are making work that, I, that, that, that informs what I'm doing. And then I think from those kind of reading and thinking processes, I usually come up with questions. I've started to move into a practice or a process of doing what I would describe as like studies now that I didn't ever used to do. I think I used to envision you know, start from the other end, I'd envision almost like a title of a work and the premise for it, and then I'd work backwards and try and fill in the gaps. Yeah. And now I really only do gapping, and then somehow in the, by shoving them all together, you start to build this kind of, like, self-referencing world because it's the like ideas are talking to the whole of the donut. Yeah. And the donut emerges yeah. around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's, exa- that's exactly it. Make the hole for people to fall through. Um, yeah, because otherwise it's just a cake, right? That hole is a, it's a muffin or something. No, exactly. And, and you know, there's enough of them. <laughs> so it's kind of like, what's his name? Also, I mean, he, this is just a title, Three Atmospheric Studies. Oh, yeah, Forso. Yeah. There's, there's, there's also a lineage. Yeah. Even to our retaliation. Yeah, definitely. That's it. Yeah, I mean, that's very interesting even, you know, us discussing digital work and then going back to the CD-ROM of, like, improvisation technologies. <laughs> CD-ROM. Um, yeah. And and the idea of, in fact, like, I mean, we're going on a tangent now, but the, actually the, the, the making concrete of the unconcrete mm. that that did in dance, that that, 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 that 
body of work did the really kind of concretizing Laban, the nine points, and putting yeah. very solid structures to be followed. Yeah, although there's a danger for me, which is the same danger that you were speaking about when things have to be named mm. and described in text. There's the same danger when it can be notated on the page, which is that it has been reduced. Yeah. yeah. And, and how do you concretize without a reduction? Yeah, and I kind of, I mean... I don't have a. I don't have an answer to that. I mean, I guess, and I guess maybe that's okay because, you know, the act of art is usually to problematize. Like the act of making a work is as you like as you were describing. I think if a work seeks to kind of answer a question, then it's already lost the war. If it seeks to make a problem of existing questions or make a problem of an idea, then that's an opening rather than a closing action. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't open. It does the act of opening, but um, yeah. I mean, I think the non-naming is a is a should be a goal, right? I mean, I think I think about it like like a pluriverse. Like I I constantly think about works. I try to I try to never think that one work houses these things and those things then can't go in another work. I try to think that every work possibly has six or seven different names and six or seven different more than that potentially infinity iterations that are like they're like pluriverses or multi-dimensions okay that's the fifth dimension of that work and now it's called that and it's sort of got those elements but now it brings these people in and so that one so that it's so that you could think about works not like repertory not like i've finished it i rehearsed it the dancers are ready the stuff's in the road cases now send it out that each iteration or repetition or re-showing of a work involves a series of new universal elements that make that dimension significantly different to the others that have been seen, but they still all reference each other. So I think I think it's sort of like resistance by repetition in a way, you know, or, or a commitment to non-definition in repetition. That's a bit yeah. wordy, but... Do you feel like you pay the price for that in uh, a lack of knowability by middle management who make the calls on who to present and produce? Very <laughs> provocative know, question. Right? It is. It, it is interesting. I mean, really, we're now just talking about marketing and commerciality. In art, and, and, and it exists in, I mean, just because we're working in forms that are inherently avant, like contemporary dance, for example, being the art end of a whole spectrum of expressions of physical movement. I don't think it's, I don't think it, I don't think it's separate to any of those problems of commerce we were discussing or problems of notoriety. And there's a reason why you know, subcultures and subversions and certain types of artwork and music always sit below the surface because they're not as easily accessible and they're not as perhaps like um, sort of satisfying in a saccharine way, they're satisfying in a different way. I mean, I'm very, very excited about Avant work and I follow 
I follow those kind of makers and I'm interested in what some kind of authenticity and I, I can't really even tell you what that is, but you try and scratch at an idea or work and there's something in the stuff of that or in the smell of that which smells like it's doing what the artist was saying they were trying to do. It's not a veneer, you know, it's the same colour once you start to kind of dig your nails in underneath. Yeah. And I think that but really I think that most artists are, are, are aiming at that, an expression of authenticity or, or a, a realness of expression that, that satisfies their curiosity and those around them. But I, I don't really have a problem with the idea. I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. If you make a decision to work in non existing forms and some of that is the commerciality of the fact that you know we made a mechanism of theater a very long time ago and we've built very big systems of power and money around the the, literally just the structure you think about you know the places like the art center they're set up for it well yeah yes exactly you know but they've got the lighting rigs and the space in there the seating banks already in there so it is so much more efficient to follow that model and fit in with it to show work than it is to question why we bring an audience in, sit them in the dark and tell them to shut up so that they can so that we can pretend they're not there while we're doing our thing. <laughs> um, do you think that it might also, so that that is one side of uh, the demand. Like I'm making a zine at the moment. I'm being commissioned to make a zine, which is one of ten. Mm-hmm. And my opening title is that demand creates its own supply which is a, yeah. a, a king's quote. And so I wonder if, of course, the infrastructure that has been built creates the demand. Um, but at the same time, that that supply that then supplies that demand has a direct impact in of endless circular fashion of mm. literacy. And you need a certain level of literacy so that you may be curious. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair, and I think that I, mean, I come think, across this with rapping, for example. Yeah, you need to be you need to reach a certain level of rap literacy before, and, and even your ability to listen to words and hold uh, a slang term from the last stanza and see how it's closed off in this next stanza. Like before you get to that point then it's nothing. Like before you can, before your hamstrings are long enough to find release in a downward dog, there is no release. It is all work. Mm. Yeah. So there's a certain level that you need to pass. It's interesting, yeah. Offering that it's literacy. Yeah, and, and potentially sort of passion and engagement. You know, and I think you're right. I mean, you gave two examples there, and it's interesting to me you chose a thinking or a text example, and then you chose a somatic example. Um, to describe this idea of like, I, I think you know when I'm sharing somatic work, there's 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 a certain type of person who's so passionate and interested and already engaging that the the point that you come in at to the conversation at is on such a level that their enjoyment is already guaranteed. And then there's another type of person you come in with this conversation where there's there's a real murky water of misunderstanding for a really long time before there's kind of like a, like a really hard tip over the edge and all of a sudden the conversation opens up. And I, and I think it's, I think, yeah, I think it's exactly as you say, there's an element to which there has to be work before there can be that 
widening of enjoyment and accessibility and application to anything, to any body of knowledge. And I think that's ultimately why we see people kind of leaning towards things they know a lot about because, well, knowing equals interest equals wanting to know more equals interest. And I think you're right. There's a, so not everyone is going to want to build a literacy in modern dance. It's not everybody's thing necessarily. And I, I think that there can be in the murky waters of misunderstanding, particularly in abstract art, there also becomes this fear of not only illiteracy, but also like incapability. You know, people get so worried about, I don't know what it means. And that seems to be a fear that I don't think people get when they go to the gallery and they look at a Rothko and it's a piece of red canvas and it's supposed to be deep, but to them it's just a piece of red canvas. Yeah, but it cost many millions. It cost many millions. But there's something about that which is not frightening. And I wonder sometimes because our work is housed in our bodies, that our bodies can sometimes make other people feel like there's an element of judgment if they can't interpret what we're trying to share. Back into words. Yeah. Because we're yeah, because we're standing there, we're in it, we're the work. But, but sorry, I I so I think if you feel something, job done as the viewer. But mm. if you expect that you need to be able to put back into words the non-worded experience that you just had, yeah, then that and so that comes back to the hierarchy of of what you know, and what you know is a text-based education system and a text-based legal system. And then there are some other hierarchies that we gladly accept that we don't feel bad about. It, like, I imagine that you don't know the mathematics of the circuit breakers that are powering your internet connection right now. Yeah, yeah. And neither do I. Yeah. But I don't feel uh, judged by the IT guy. They should make it work, and then it will work, and then I will use it. Yeah. And yeah, so it's interesting, isn't it? Why art is making ourselves. yeah. We tell people you have a body. This is open to you. We are all equal. But I've put fifteen years into this. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. I am more experienced and more trained, but that doesn't mean that our that my ears are now closed to your experience of what I'm offering you. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because we keep kind of coming back to the idea of the rarity, and I think you know historically, I mean going to art school 300 years ago was showing up to a lowly technical college and learning the skills of drafting. You know, the idea of art and the artist has been elevated to both celebrity status and also kind of, you know, art has replaced some functions of religion in our daily lives. Things that rituals and things of importance and things we revered within the church, you know, as a community, some not even that long ago, maybe early 19th century, early 18th, 20th century, um, have been replaced by our desire for beauty and aesthetics and things that have a clarity of intention as a lot of those sort of, as a lot of modern art can do. And I think in some ways that gives, that gives us an incredibly elevated and really wonderful platform to be working on but then as you just said you know it also it makes people worry in a way because they don't see there's an element to which people don't see the idea of being an artist as being a work it's a job it's like it's a it's a job like any other job and it's product the 
this its output in isn't necessarily the sort of height of cultural or aesthetic taste as reflected on the viewer. You know, I think that's a negativity. It's not not there because there's an element to which I think art and artists are very mobile and agile in the way that it moves around all sorts of cultures and all sorts of stratas of people's lives. And there is a something quite, I mean, I find that a beautiful thing and that many artists are able to slip into so many different contexts and find elements of connection. But maybe not that many slip into quite as many contexts as you do. How do you think? Well, I, have, I was reading some, an article that described you as a powerhouse. Oh, wow. That's and a I lovely thing to say. I mean, you, like, because we haven't really even covered logistically what you do. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I think I'm, I'm really in the, a moment of, of um, deep kind of thinking and gooey kind of theory stuff. So I think we sort of headed straight to the guts of that. Which I love, you know, I love hanging out in these ideas because re- there's such a richness in just kind of pulling out an idea, which we do with our bodies all the time, but it's so it's really joyous to do it with words as well. But, yeah, yeah, good point, you know, because what do I do? I mean, I mean, certainly my family still asks that question every Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> do you just say, look, James Wellsby once said to me, oh, Mum, can you just read my blog? Wait. <laughs> So maybe you just tell them to follow your Instagram and then it'll all be clear. I think sometimes that makes it even less clear. But, um, mm. yeah, I mean, I, yeah, there are people that I who haven't seen me perform who do follow my Instagram who would still say, and what is it exactly that you do? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I shouldn't, I mean, it's very clear from my cackling there how I really enjoy that problem I mean I really think I'm all about radical undefinition and redefinition and and I really love the idea of being a bit indefinable and and I kind of am like I have been a bit of a rogue I haven't quite managed to settle into one spot I'm definitely in a I, I guess you would say I'm in an absolute in between a doorstep space of like quite a few different forms and quite a few different expressions and quite a few different perspectives I think most of us are but I definitely am in on the, like the in-between door home it's half inside half outside of kind of like of dance and of art and of certain different sort of cultural expressions and sort of late night context and I don't know also that perhaps all that that represents is that your your physicality and your excitement at uh, deep discussion and your sensuality and your uh, penchant for playful revolt Mm. isn't fully tolerated in any one of the infrastructural places. Interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. Because I, I imagine that the depth at which you want to unpick ideas is an asset in one, one pre-existing infrastructure and a frustration or liability or a friction point in the collaborative teams of another 
Yeah. And then yet the level of uh, sensuality which you may enjoy through an embodiment of a certain type of physical performance can't be found in another type that takes itself too seriously. And mm. then your desire to say that thing that you're looking at that you think that you know, you don't know because I've changed what it is for me, so now please update and change what it is for you. <laughs> that that cheeky wink also doesn't work in wholly in some space and so you go over and make another space. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I do think... I think constructing or choreographing context is a really awesome and powerful thing that I think you were sort of touching on just before, this idea that, you know, we sort of train dancers particularly because, you know, there is this this kind of dichotomy, this straddling of this idea of technical proficiency versus artistic expression and, and mobileness, and they're at odds with one another. Because to learn dance is to learn repetition and mastery by agreeing to hierarchy. Just you know, and maybe that's part of the reason I'm, I'm not very pro. But but um, you mean not very pro hierarchy? Yeah, not I'm not very pro. Haha. Possibly, but I'm actually not very pro the way that we teach dancing. I mean, if I think about the Australian model, it's not really possible for you to get into a higher educational context for dance unless you have a background of technical proficiency. Or if you're um, a current uh, underrepresented group, like I was in the early 2000s, of being a boy from a regional area, Mm. And then I had had technical proficiency in, say, break and ballroom, but that wasn't what you're talking about. And so I yeah. got given a chance because the whatever the the agenda at the time was to take was to stretch the rules for boys and for regional applicants, and if they are both better. Mm. And so somehow I was beneficiary of that unfair representative balancing. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that can be a healthy thing. I mean, we're going to go on to another tangent now if we start talking about quotas and sort of shifting culture by forcing <laughs> its hand. I mean, I believe in quotas. I think we should be forcing we should be forcing ourselves to to open our eyes to representation and I think that's important. And there's it, it, I mean, you're touching on some super interesting stuff. Well, it? it works for me. I mean, it meant that every time I have a discussion where people say that dance isn't didn't set me up for success, I remember how lucky I was that I started ballet under someone like Nina Bretnikova. Yeah. Who yeah. had no agenda of her own um, superiority. Yeah. And only the agenda that you are better tomorrow than you were yesterday. That's so lovely. I mean, I'm yeah, I think, you know, I think that, you know, in many ways you could just describe that as a huge lucky stroke because, I mean, particularly coming up through a very femme model as a dancer, you know, by the time I had applied to and gotten into the, to, to, to study in a tertiary format, perhaps where the duty of care is a lot, lot clearer and a lot, the legalities of what is um, offered and appropriate for teachers is different. But, you know, we were brought up by some very, very confused teachers who were telling us to kind of starve ourselves and, 
and putting forward models of unachievable beauty that I think you spend a lifetime undoing. I think that's actually one of my driving themes is to sort of unpick those very, very, you know, wooden and two-dimensional and damaging outdated yeah tropes and they they stick real deep so in a way like being able to have a good sense of yourself and and having a more grown-up mind while approaching a technical trade is actually a i think that's a of benefit yeah 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 interestingly but i think you know just coming back to this idea of you talking about perhaps my work needs to slide around because it, it's potentially a bit much in some areas it, I think, I think it's about to know. If you stayed in one spot, you wouldn't be fully manifest. You wouldn't have become all that you could be. Yeah, I mean, I didn't quite get the door didn't open to me immediately when I finished my studies. I was, for whatever reason, I was a bit too bolshy and I was certainly a bit curvier and looked a bit conspicuous. Like, I didn't fit in that early 2000s model. It was a lot of, like, beautiful blank bodies and repeated bodies in many, many works that were sort of blended together. This, 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 um, one of my pet uh, gripes, which I think we were working against and then I think has flared up again since the, the major influences that is now coming from Israeli dance companies being oh, yeah. so heavily funded, is this relationship with the dancer as this beautiful creature uh, that yeah. is impressive and incredible and talented but silent. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly we what I'm raising against. against. Yeah. And we, but we were pushing against that, I think, for a good many years. Yeah. That was starting to come undone. Yeah. Until somewhere that was not quite fully Western, that needed to be culturally respected, got heavily funded and could be a big swinging dick on the international dance scene. And then we, sl- we like slid all the way back into this idea of these uh, animalistic but still sensual and exotic creatures that are our dancers rather than what I see when I look out into many Australians who make and dance in their own work are these incredibly intelligent and inspiring and deeply considered minds who have also uh, expanded that into a physicality so that their body may speak on their behalf. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's nothing to add to that. I think you've coined that exactly <laughs> in a very eloquent way. I mean, I think there's always trends in dance. And as you say, there's always going to be dance that is more commercially exciting and easy for people to watch. And I think you made a good point earlier talking about, you know, do you cut yourself off from experience by really, really experimenting with form and really sitting at the front edge of what's possible and what's happening in art? And I think the answer is, of course, yes. I mean, I think then it comes down to motivation for making, you know, are you, are you making for a broad audience or are you making to excite a new audience? Mm, nice. And, and I think, you know, there's actually space for everyone. I don't really have any ill will towards people who want to make kind of like, you know, beautiful canonic pieces of dance in an ensemble in a way that we've seen it. Because, you know, I think I used to rally a lot harder against that stuff. I used to be quite, you know, anti certain elements of dance. And as I've kind of, I don't know, humbled or softened in my old age, (laughs) something, you know, but I find my, you know, it's very, it's, it's a very nice experience. You know, we have that lovely mechanism in our own bodies of mimicry and um, mimesis or, or mirroring. So 
you know, I find now I, I used to be kind of annoyed by very canonic American modern dance. And if I sit down in, in whatever, like a, you know, an anything work these days, a Cunningham or a any, things, anything that's touring around, but I actually find it's not always necessarily, you know, there are, an element, there are elements to which it's not always necessarily conceptually satisfying, but it's actually really okay to let the mind and the body sink down into a shared somatic experience and just have that energy wash over you, particularly when works are repetitive and very abstract. Sometimes you kind of drift away. It does become almost meditative. You sort of drift away and you come back and then there's still these kind of just repeating spirals and you're like, oh, my God, they're still spiraling, but I'm here too and my body can go. There's something so actually satisfying about seeing like that much dancing. And I think, you know, there are definitely, there are trends in both, you know, in both commercial dance and dance that is sitting on the edge. Like, you know, there's a real trend in, I don't know if you would say this is a national matter, whether it's specific to Victoria, because Victoria has always been a bit of a centre for dance and a bit of a leader of dance and maybe to its own detriment. You know, some people describe it as being a little bit locked in and on itself or inwardly focused. I think anywhere that gets supported uh, in resources will become a centre. Like that's Silicon Valley, right? Money yeah. poured into there for those sort of people. And so people from around the world went to that place. Singapore is the port that it is because money poured into it and then it became what it was and then that fed itself over time. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, I see a trend in Melbourne dance and as you like acknowledge, yeah, there is more resources here. I definitely see a trend in, in, in sort of, what we would call the sort of edge of contemporary dance here to to show work that is not dancing as much. And a little bit of that, I wonder if it's a bit of a fear of being not taken seriously conceptually if the work is a little bit too languid or a bit too dancey. It's definitely a fear. And it's a, and it's a fear that also reveals ignorance about all that work that has already been done. Yeah, I think it's really important to be sort of historically aware and something I think that the art canon does very well that, it, that we don't do when we study dance. You know, when you study art, you must be really aware of your community of practice. Who else is working like this? Who are they? Should I write to them? Where's their body of work? I'll watch it. I'll have a look. I'll read more. So you, you must become more aware of the history yeah. that's unfolding around you and has come before you as you're making work in some models. And I don't think dance does that. So sometimes it misses yeah. out on a historical relationship to itself, which I think is a loss and for all of us. Um, achievements. Like you don't mm. need to start where they started. You can be the, the relay. Let, let, let them yeah. educate, let the past educate you up until where they got to and then move forward from there. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, it's to be careful. I mean, I, I also think a lot of dance here, just to finish that last little thought, is borrowing very much from performance art. And then so it needs to educate itself, you know, because we should be bower birding. And I think, you know, coming back to what you just said, this idea, there are no new ideas. Like it's a, it's a really good sort of post, post, post-modern and post-post-structuralist standpoint. Post-post, post-post, post, where in redoing, it, it's a good, it's a good stance for us to look back and go, actually there is no, there is no new. And that's a really helpful thing to do. Like, even, you know, if we go back, if we're looking at dance history, we go back to maybe Judson Church would be a good example where, where where there are gestures towards the form of art in in modernism that were new. There was a thing that someone thought about that they either learnt in their training or observed from that, that 
sparked something and something happened that had never been done before, whatever it might be, dance in this place, dance with this or this particular art or using this or using the body. There's a million and one examples. Those huge gestures which were, which formally, by form, actually changed applications of ideas, they're totally exhausted. They're done. Like the idea that you and I will change the history or possibilities of dance are actually, they're kind of naught now. And that should make us feel relaxed, you know, like the toolkit's there. What's different is that you and I are living in our time right now in these bodies, in this space with all of these brimming, like stunning ideas around us and that our retelling of those giant gestures at a form and our ability to take them into the social space, into the, into the application of our bodies and our shared experiences and the retelling of those gestures in our time, in our form and with our geographies and with our politics, that's the newness. It's, it's so actually art isn't, you know, this idea of art for art's sake, you know, post one away, that's gone. Like there is nothing else to do for art. We've done it. It's actually now about us, our stories and our whatever, our, our, our ability to make sense of and joy of and whether it be a feeling thing or a looking thing or a story thing, you know, there's a million ways to kind of express that. It really is towards, in my opinion, towards building spaces and worlds for ourselves and others that are satisfying and helpful and edifying. It, it's not really to the service of art anymore. I think we did it. I think we've, we did that. <laughs> our gestures are towards, towards understanding our experience more in what, in many yeah. ways. I don't want to be too reductive because I really think it's no. an open end, but. Well, maybe it's not dissimilar from the comparison you made to the position of religious ceremony in societies and communities. Mm. Uh, that it's it's a nicer thing to think that whatever is the construct that we are gathering under, it should be for the people who are gathering. Yeah, and it's an interesting point just to loop that back into what you were sort of asking me before about context, and I sort of. I mean, I was sort of crypto. I'll just make a new context. But I mean, the most, the most accepting and open and wholly broadly embracing, enveloping context for showing work I've ever experienced is in late night queer spaces. And so, talking about community gathering and a sort of community ideals of context. For me, that has been the most substantial and the most accepting and the most satisfying place to show work if I think about the kind of very, very queer, very club, very kind of, um, yeah, it's a specific context, but it's a very open context. So it's interesting to me that, you know, those kind of queer nights, I think there's some classic ones that are just around the corner from me here on Smith Street that happen every week that gather a church-like congregation to celebrate experimental artworks, which go up every single week in a way that I think perhaps more organised work can't be made, you know, because we've got to do all of the production and we've got to get the right amount of things going on and this people, all these people need to touch the work and then it needs to have the PR and then this has to happen and then the opening night has to happen. The idea of just throwing something up in space, and you know, I'm sure there are other ways in which that happens. But for me, it's that's been that's been my pathway towards really understanding experimental work and and really um, 
unconditional acceptance of the new or the or the experimental, the trial or the um, yeah, the the have a go at it idea. Yeah. And I think that's yeah, shaped I, me very much is those late night contacts. You know, I've done a lot of work on the kind of like the kind of variety in vaudeville circuits all over the place. And there's something about the immediacy of that and the amount of time you spend in commune, like with the, whatever you want to call them, the audience, the observers, the participators, because quite often in, in contemporary dance, you make work for six months and you show it for one week and you flip it the other way in these kind of immediate contexts, you might get a week, maybe even less, you might get a day to throw something together and it might be on tour for six months. So you get this massive opportunity to live in the work and see how people respond to it and that shapes the outcome more so than the rehearsal process or the other people that might be involved is the amount of time it literally sits in, in, in activated states in front of other humans. It's sort of a, mm-hmm. sort of a sort of heading up on a side comment there, but this idea of the amount of time one spends as a time as a measure of experience and as potentially a measure of not expertise, but a knowing, a kind of a knowing or even an unknowing, you could call it. But there's something very cool about spending a lot of time examining the body in performance because I think that maybe contemporary dance, due to a lot of, for a lot of reasons, doesn't get a lot of time to examine itself in actual performance. Even our big companies in Australia might only put on two productions a year for a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's sort of quite small in the grand scheme. I mean, I did this work late last year that was 80 hours long continuously. And I... Didn't you get a record for that? Did I? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Do I... I don't know. Do I have to call someone? I'm here for my award. Thank you. Um, But I think... What was the parameters? uh, Well, it was a very... There was lots... There was a lot going into the thinking of that. Um, but one of the big ones was this was idea of forming forming uh, an experience and a, and a framing for experience and a context and a way to view as a circle, not as a straight line. So the audience is not a straight line. I'm not a straight line. The time is not a straight line. The space is not a straight line. You know, everything is curved and looped and continuously comes back to the beginning. So it's like a constant cycle of renewal and redoing and undoing. And so I didn't want to, my body was framed as the material in that work as well as other things, but it was one of the materials listed in the list of materials of the work. And it had to stay in the space because the other material stayed in the space for the length of time. So there was that, this kind of like continuous universal self-referencing system that sort of made sense to all of the, how it was put together. And then there was also this idea of um, blurring or blending you know, bodies, but also social and art spaces. You know, why is the gallery open only during the day? Why is the theatre opening only during the night? Why are those spaces not allowed to be used by humans at certain times of day? You know, why are we doing that? What's the reasoning? And so, and also this idea that, yeah, exactly, or the idea of exactly as we were talking about before, this idea of sort of um, standardisation and that, that it's necessary to get things done, but that we shouldn't stop questioning it because it's easier. You know, there should be a real uh, understanding of why we access the same, you know, architecture is a great example where the standardization of building things has made it a lot cheaper and accessible. How excellent we want everyone to have housing, but asking questions about how we live and why is still a very important way to move forward. 
So I wanted this space to be accessible to people 24 hours a day so they could choose how and when they wanted to observe art. They could choose how and when they wanted to come in and in what way. So they were, I, I was trying to really address both a, a non-linear time and also a non-sort of site-based experience. So if people wanted to come in and have a lie down and close their eyes and experience elements of scent in the work because there were sort of every scent had every – Every sense had been addressed. There were things to smell. There were things to eat. There were things to touch. There were things to see. There were things to hear. So, so I was trying to really not get rid of the hierarchy around art, which is actually a prioritizes vision. You know, vision is like sort of the, the big sense. It kind of kicks back to our the idea of the age of enlightenment. You know, when like kind of the male religious <laughs> white guys said, "We've got it. We've got the ideas," and. And we see it, you know, this idea of like the religious vision, I see it, I see the light, I can see everything. So this, so vision as being kind of more important than other senses. And, and it happens a lot in art, the prioritising of what something looks like. So as a little, another sort of element of soft resistance, I was trying to work with crafting the work without prioritising the, the vision of it. So trying to prioritise at the same level what things smelt like, what they tasted like, what you could hear and what you could touch. And, um, and I, and I also, I was interested in this idea of what happens to all of the materials over time. So everything was changed. I mean, certainly my body changed over those 80 hours, like I became more tired or things shifted or, but it's, yeah, there's, there was a, I mean, there's sort of a, I'm still kind of picking apart all of that work at sort of the end of last year. So there's still lots to kind of pull out and try and work out, but one of the very interesting things that happened, which I sort of hadn't quite anticipated, was that I never had to prepare for the show. You know, like you do a show, you put it up, you put it in the theatre, you bump it in, you block it, you plot it, you dress run it, and you go home. And then you pay some bills and you have dinner or you hang the washing out. or And then you think, I better get back to the theatre a couple of hours early because I've got to focus. Like I've got to go and do the thing where I put myself back in that work. I climb back in, I sit in it for a while, I warm up my body, I try and enter that space of the that I that I wanted to be in when I created the context for it. And then you do it and you go home and then you do the same thing for the rest of the run. And something about never leaving the performance space and never stopping the performance meant that when I went into active elements of performance, because there were sort of elements of it that where I was doing an active my body was in a performative mode to be observed and other elements where I was simply there as a material or hanging out in the space or sometimes even giving little somatic tours of the space, showing people how to use the sculptures or the space to have other than visual experiences. So in that way, I'd call myself a host, the way it was sort of discussing. But um, I never, I never left the readiness to be in that work. And that was a joy. Like I never had to think about anything else in my life for those, that time in there all I had to do was be part of that world and when it came time to enter other states within that world I was just there you know I was constantly ready for everything that was unfolding and it was such a nice thing for for the performer to get to do which I've never got to do even though I've done a lot of quite varied things in my my little sack of history but yeah, which I think, and, and it sort of ran like a little festival. You know, there were like gigs that happened inside and parties that happened inside it and we taught some classes, some sort of semantic classes and and there was kind of times that was, there was one moment that was like a dinner and other moments that were kind of like the framing of, of normal activities, daily activities, you know, sleeping was framed as an artwork within that world. So it was sort of 
there's a lot on there was as I'm sort of talking about it, I realize that it sounds a little bit chaotic and it was a bit chaotic, you know, messy and organic. I like those forms, but there was actually lots and lots of questions in that work and it didn't answer any of them. And that sort of takes us back to where we were sort of talking before about, I think the best artwork doesn't give an answer. It, it makes a problem of an idea. Yeah. So, so it's very, very unfinished, the thinking around all of that, but lots and lots of like circles and cycles around our bodies, our daily lives and how we perceive sensations and senses as a question mark sort of was the rationale of the kind of the reading and then all these different um, studies, you know, testing ideas. How can I get this to, you know, one of the tests, one of the early tests I did towards that work was like, okay, the question is I'm, I'm talking about the energy as a material, as material as anything else, as material as this laptop or the phone I'm talking to on. So how can I demonstrate that and how can I implicate all of our bodies in one performance, you know? And, and so these very, very simple physical premises started coming up and the first set of studies I did were just with these series of um, mesh materials and I just had some plants in the gallery who I'd told, I want you to do this at this certain time just to test the idea. And I would be underneath a piece of fabric and then my plant person, Lily Pascas would have been one of them, would come along and put their hands on the edge of the material. And it was sort of like this question mark around, first of all, how can I deliver an idea without telling people what it is? And secondly, like, will they do it? And how will they do it? You know, does it work? And it worked quite a few times where people would see this happening or people were coming to put their hands on the material and they would all come and put their hands on the material. So then this stretchy material with my body underneath it then became an activated sculpture by the hands that were touching it. So then as I start to kind of put pressure on this material, I'm moving slowly with an improvisational score. The people who are observing me moving are not only seeing it, they're feeling it in their hands. And somehow they don't even quite realize how they've done it. They've all entered into a social contract with me and with everyone else there that they're going to activate it. And they're not even sure how they got there, which is so cool. And I'm not sure if I've described exactly what happened there, but essentially it made like a kind of a, a webbing for my body to be both restrained by, or I suppose danced with, duetted with, through the hands, conduit hands of about 12 or 13 people around a piece of fabric on a ground, which is so cool because it's activated, it's shared, it's energetic, it's mobile, it's ephemeral, it disappears. It's sort of, so this idea, so it's sort of like these little question marks of how do you answer that utopia? What is utopia? How do you build it? And then literally how would you physically try and do something? I mean, yeah, I think they're very simple. I don't think, I think by the time you layer kind of six or seven of them on each other, it starts to look like quite sort of, um, maybe it looks quite formal and quite sort of crafted and it is, but the, the, the base settings are very, very, very simple. Yeah. I mean, a big one for me is just, uh, balancing, balancing, on an unlikely object. You know, I use lots of river stones, like the edges of plinths. I've done it on amplifiers. like, And it, the score is called Unstable Score, and it's based on all these lovely theories about becoming theories where you never quite get anywhere, you never quite arrive. You're constantly undoing definition. You're constantly breaking down barriers and borders. And all I do is just be in a state of unbalance. The, the job, the score, is to simply never find balance. 
which is one of the, like, that's so ridiculously simple in, in the kind of complexity of choreographic structure that exists in our worlds. But it's so good because it's so simple. It's, and, it's, and it's really um, interesting to watch. Like I, I've done a number of these scores, so have some other people that have worked with me. The, the simple job of not quite getting somewhere, it's, it's like confounding to watch as an audience there. It's like, oh, what is going on here? Like what's the premise? I, I, and in some ways I find that simplicity of the individual struts a real strength to the, um, to the overall work that like the physical answers to quite conceptual questions are very, very not straightforward, but they're there. It's a, it's a, it's a simple offer. And there's some power in that or something along those lines. I've sort of, yeah, I've sort of fallen in the hole of trying, still trying to pull apart that work. So, I mean, I saw it, I'm sure you can hear it. It's still kind of like, it's still not, it's not at all settled in my head what it is and what it does. And I like that idea that I might never get there. I might never quite know what that work does. Yeah, but you still are doing it. Yeah. And that is, I think, more generous. Well, that's nice. I love the word generous because I think that's what good art is, you know? Yeah. I think it's interesting. It's, it's hard sometimes because of course we all discuss our work from this idea of I am making and you have to write these submissions all the time. I will do this and I will do that. And, and I, I kind of, I don't really do a hard eye in any of my work. I think about the audience a lot and, and I'm incredibly, you know, I'm absolutely without a leg if I don't have collaborators. I mean, I, I lean very heavily on collaborators as a, as an absolute kind of, as a not as just a method as a belief it's my ethics that that's how great work is made great ideas come from multiple people not one person or are acted out by multiple people and I think there might have been nearly 100 sets of hands that touched that work that I did last year and I would have it no other way like it's really important to me to work with a lot a lot a lot of different artists and thinkings and a lot of different types of makers and I think that's a very big strength. So collabor- collaboration as a as another form of resistance to the idea of like the artist as a god or the artist as some kind of brilliant human, I think is a nice one. Mm. Yeah. I don't I, know. Look, just to give my individual singular opinion, I would say that perhaps Holly is a brilliant human, regardless <laughs> of being an artist. <laughs> That's uh, very kind. But, you know, that just comes from the fact that I remember even being backstage in ridiculous costumes at our university training performances and just thinking, who here has something interesting to say? And thinking that you were one of those people. <laughs> That's great. I can't, I can, well, I'm trying to wrap my head around which weird costumes I would have been wearing. That's pretty great. Oh, who knows? Who uh, knows? What? The, the question I like to wrap, try and wrap up with, but of course I agree with your approach that to answer is not as generous as to uh, offer another pair of hands to hold yeah. the discussion. <laughs> um, what is your biggest hope for all of the effort of bringing in yeah. these many collaborators and of leaning into uh, other offers and of integrating all the senses and all the people and all the and and experimental performance as 
as an act rather than as an aesthetic, mm. actually experimenting in front of people so that the people who are there with you while the experiment is happening can help you understand what it is. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. What is your biggest hope? I don't know. I mean, I'm such a I, – I sometimes have this little joke quite with myself that I probably am a modernist, but <laughs> – <laughs> But I'd never tell anyone. Now I've just announced it on this podcast. But um, I th- I think you know there's a there's two things that I think I think you know like there's this there's this kind of little soft activist inside of me that really wants to like pump a fist in the air and actually make changes to 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 how we construct our worlds. And if we were to all kind of get into this model where we start world building, which ignores the real world and builds these little tiny pockets of perfect thinking and perfect joy and fun, that it might actually kind of spill out into the world and we might actually be able to change and really deconstruct and really decay those kind of archaic, resistant, reductive, restraining structures of definition, categorization, stereotype, judgment, fear, you know, anything motivated by fear is just a downward hill. And so I kind of, like, I would love to imagine that some of these works have the potential to start to shift cultural perception about certain values. I mean, the one that I'm chipping away at the moment is kind of like the other body because that's what mine has felt like and I can see that in lots of my peers and friends about this idea of the non-dominant body or the other body or the eroticised body or the femme body that has for such a long period of time been divorced from its owner you know the placing of a female in an artwork for the joy of someone else who's not the owner of that body so kind of reuniting our bodies with our joy and their own meanings and their own definitions that would be pretty cool if my work could do a little contribution to that but I think on an actual achievable like daily kind of idea I think it is about doing that on a tiny level, like like personal activism where singular people might be able to enter a certain artistic experience or space and ask themselves some questions about why they're whatever it might be, so hard on certain ideas within themselves or think so singularly in one way or, you know, and would the act of letting down or letting go of a lot of our hard ideas and actually just having a big old dance or having a laugh or being a bit ridiculous or, you know, incredulity as a little baton, a little flag to wave against the kind of fascism of rational kind of logical structures, letting go of being afraid of definitions, just letting go of definitions. So I think it's kind of the same idea, but one's like a little personal epiphany, gorgeous moment and the other one is like imagine the world could get into that <laughs> I don't know I mean I think they're, they're kind of impossible I mean I don't mind an impossible goal it's pretty impossible that we're going to change the entire world by by making these shows and but it is you know it's quite possible that we might change the experience of a lot of people and isn't that so cool yeah yeah I don't know if that's an answer <laughs> I think we've already discredited the need for answers. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think it changes all the time, doesn't it? I mean, uh, most of us, our relationships to making work have had to change, have had to evolve with us because we've had to grow up with it as well. And I mean, I started doing ballet because I wanted to wear a tutu. <laughs> like that's so irrelevant to what I think about dancing now. But you know, it goes through so many phases, and it does things to us as well. You know. 
I think maybe I was an awkward teenager. I wanted to hide away or and, and having something to focus on and send energy into. Even now, you know, I find it so much easier to go to a party if I'm performing because it's like, because as an introvert, it means that I get to enjoy things, but I've also got a little backstage to hide in so I can kind of like take sips of that room but also kind of hang back. And so it's like a pathway to... I think it's a path, a pathway to kind of joy and acceptance and like, yeah. And a certain yes. harmony, a certain peace, like within ourselves and within our own inner monologue, but also within our communities and our sort of broader cultural applications. It's like a peak. That's a, I don't really use that word, but it's like a piece that I think I'm aiming for. Isn't that the, the, answer that every yeah. universe yeah did I just do that I think I did yeah I think you did what, would, really want? what would you do in the world world <laughs> yeah I just did that and you know I think that the other factor that's really great is like humor I think you made a good point earlier about like things that take themselves too seriously or us worrying that our works of art are too serious yeah having a really good dose of humor you know, I, I gave a, this show I was just discussing was actually quite serious, but one night I wore a latex alien fish suit mask and made martinis for everyone as a work of art. Like, it's it's really good to really, like, undercut your seriousness week. <laughs> I think it's a way in. It's a doorway in. So, yeah, now we're heading off another chance. We were wrapping up. I don't I mean, you might listen to this all back, Matt, and it's terrible, and maybe I'll have to do an Alice and do a, a little bit more of a structured talk through where I have a couple of notes to try and keep me on track. But I mean, that was an honest kind of meander through the, the, you know, the briars of my mind, the nettles and the, the moors. It was deeply appreciated. <laughs> it was a very, that was very fun. I feel very indulged. Thanks very much for inviting <laughs> me. I mean, I love it. So it's, you're right. We don't get the, the, um, the richness of getting to chat like this so much, right? Like quite often we capture people after a show and there isn't a lot of, there isn't a lot of discourse because there's not a lot of history of it. So we get a lot, I think less now, but there's a lot of like, I'm sure you have this at your shows too, like it was good. And getting to sink your teeth into it a bit, it's like, isn't this part of the joy of making work? Like this is a really a pleasurable thing to talk about. Like, what is that thing? What does it do? I don't know. Yeah. I think it's an ecosystem. Though. I think, uh, reviewers also need to not say it was good. I think there's a real lack of anyway that we're heading off cam- yeah. off camera, please. But yeah, I think there's a real I, I think that there's a real gap at the moment between the conversations that are happening to make work and the conversations that are happening in a public way about work. And I think there could be some really cool ways in which the conversations that start happening in public are actually initiated from the makers and less from people who often you know, don't have the same, who aren't sitting around in the works like we are, ours and others, and and don't have that, maybe there's another 20 years on top of that of just hanging around in the technique, that that offer an insight that people do want to hear about and do care about. Like I hear you're discussing bits and pieces of your work or even some musings that you've had about my work today, and that's deeply interesting. That's far interesting than anything I've read in a kind of um, mainstream newspaper about dance in the last 10 years. I think there's a few, there's, there's just, there's also a few, uh, at some point I stopped knowing myself by the things that I 